and welcome to the Dog Logical Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Rhodes. And I'm your host, Cassie Dixon. Join two dog nerds and our guests, giving you tips, tricks, and busting myths aimed at making sense of your dog's behavior. Okay, so today we are talking about food motivation. Such a hot topic, I think sometimes, at least I get asked a lot of questions about it. Let's just do like a little baseline intro. How would you describe food motivation, Cassie? Oh my goodness, such a good question, Renee. I think that food motivation takes on a lot of different faces for our pups, and we also have a lot of different interpretations of it. So for me, I would definitely say that when I think food motivation, I think how excited is a dog to take the current food that you're presenting or offering in that moment? Yeah, it's such an individual thing. Like when people ask me, what do you motivate your dogs with? And I'm like, well, my dogs find this motivating, but you know, those are my dogs. So your dog might have a different taste. For me, I've worked with dogs who have had uh, broccoli, carrots, pea, all kinds of different things that like normally I would think, well, my dogs wouldn't touch that. (laughs) So, you know, it is a very individual thing. And also, you know, talking about environment, what motivates a dog inside the house may not motivate a dog outside in a really sniff rich environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I definitely have that dog. My dog will take a piece of carrot over almost anything in almost any environment. So it definitely is the learner that gets to decide the value of whatever it is we're offering. So I think it's really important to kind of take those things into consideration, especially when we are talking about motivating our dogs, because there are so many different motivators, but food specifically is a really great one for behavior modification, for just training, for pretty much everything. So it makes it kind of difficult if you feel like you have a dog that isn't food motivated or isn't food motivated in certain situations. So I think that chatting about this today, we're hopefully going to get to the bottom of some of those issues for some people and maybe be able to help out in the future when they are trying to work with that quote unquote, non-food motivated dog. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I would say is, you know, trying to find what motivates your dog is, is sometimes pretty easy. I think we don't really dive into what we think our dog might like or finding out what our dog might like, because we just kind of go for those store-bought treats and it doesn't hit your dog in the right way. You might try a different treat or a different treat, but something I like to tell my clients is to do a, a taster menu, just a little variety sampler plate, if you will, of different types of foods, all different like meats, cheeses, you know, you could incorporate vegetables or fruits or all that kind of stuff to see what does my dog actually like? Because just like us, I mean, we have individual types of tastes And if you spend just a little bit of time figuring out what does my dog actually like, that can be a really powerful tool. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Like a smorgasbord of deliciousness to see what your dog is going to prefer in certain situations and things like that. I know. And obviously this is a dog logical podcast, but um, I do often have that conversation with um, feline owners. So people who are looking to do behavior modification with their cats. And a lot of the time it's much more difficult for cats because they aren't anywhere near as food motivated as dogs tend to be. So we will often do exactly that. A plate with a whole bunch of different things on it and you leave it alone with the cat and you see what they're willing to take. 
and what they leave alone. And that gives you a better idea moving forward of how you can motivate the animal in those certain situations. So I love that idea. Absolutely. And even just making sure that you carry more than one value of food or more than one food that is going to motivate your dog in certain situations so that you have the freedom of choice in those moments too, I think can be really important. Oh yeah, you, totally. I was going to say, do you have any specific scenarios where you hear this from people a lot that their dog just isn't food motivated? Like, can you think of anything? Maybe we can try to break down a scenario to give people more of an idea. For me, more often than not, when I hear it is trying to distract the dog away from something that they really want to get to. The classic, I could hang a steak in front of him and he wouldn't care because he really wants that other dog or that squirrel. So in those scenarios, it's, yeah, we're trying to distract the dog away from something that they really want and food just isn't cutting it. So my dog is not food motivated. Ah, yes, yes, absolutely. And I definitely have heard also that exact scenario. And I think too, that when we do talk about those things, we often have, um, as, as people, as humans, as not being a dog, we sometimes have unrealistic expectations of what is motivating because we know exactly how we're feeling in specific moments. But if we're not reading our dog appropriately, we might not realize that it has nothing to do with motivation in this moment, but it has to do with other outlying things, right? So that kind of takes a big, a big wheel for me. So making sure that you have something in your repertoire that you know your dog will take in almost every scenario, but then also making sure that you're not using that thing all the time to make that thing bored or, you know, certain things like um, poisoned reinforcers and how those come about as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, you hit kind of the nail on the head and that's something I try to drive home is that if you have one of something and you're repeatedly giving it to the dog, even if it's the dog's favorite thing, depending on the context, like if they're out, maybe you're practicing your recall and every time they come back, you give them a piece of cheese. All you have to do is take a few bites of cheese yourself and you'll see how sticky your mouth gets, you know? So like if you're running around as a dog doing your recall and then your mouth starts to get a bit from all the cheese, it ruins the motivation to come back. Whereas if you can kind of mix that up with something and I love, I don't know about you, but I love like a three to five mix, you know, it gives you enough variation thing that adds a little bit of difference to what you're offering your dog, but all still real high reinforcers. And that way, at least your dog is having some variation and it's not the same thing over and over and over again, which is going to drive their motivation down. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of like saying, if you have the exact same dessert every day after dinner, are you really going to want that dessert at the end of the week? Probably not. So finding those things and making sure that they remain motivating is a big part of that. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And I mean, what would you say? Cause something that I also um, hear a lot about is how do I deal with a dog who has a restricted diet or allergies? How do we use food in that way to be a motivator for a dog who has a very limited palate? That is actually such a good question. I actually recently dealt with this. Um, It can be difficult. It absolutely can be difficult depending on what type of restriction that diet is. So sometimes you have diet restrictions that are just, you know, um, specific to this dog has had gastroenteritis lately. So just a lot of stomach upset. So we are limiting their diet to only their kibble. So it makes it kind of difficult to find something motivating in that moment or whatever the case may be. Or there's also certain situations where you might have something like this dog is allergic to protein. 
period. <laughs> we can only have a non-protein diet. And then it's like half the time, the dogs don't even eat the food that's given to them regularly in a bowl without it being difficult. So you have to try to find other ways to keep foods motivating by switching them up or doing things like that. And the one thing that I will say is actually kind of on the flip side, rather than what to do or how to find something, but something to avoid is trying to give or show or use a high value treat that we know we cannot give that dog to get them to do something and then reward with something of a lower value. That can create a lot of mistrust. It can create a lot of frustration for our dogs. Um, it can be really difficult. So if you're working with a dog like that, there are a few things that I would suggest avoiding like that specifically. So there are definitely things you can do as well um, and kind of to make those things a little bit easier by making snacks at home for our dogs that are more appropriate and do fit those restrictions. Sometimes depending if you know your dog is on a veterinary diet or you're just doing an elimination diet or things along those lines, always, 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 I suggest speaking with your veterinarian because they are typically going to have a really great way to do those things already because they've probably come across this issue already or speaking with your trainer or behavior consultant as well. Because again, they're probably dealing with this with another client. They're going to have some suggestions for you or specifics or like you said earlier, Renee, using a smorgasbord or trying to mix it up or doing things like that. So um, definitely speaking to the professionals that you're working with would be obviously always my first suggestion and then kind of working your way up from there. So yeah, there's definitely a bunch of different kind of ways we can do it and things we can go about doing. It's funny because when you were saying trying not to, you know, almost like con the dog into thinking that they're getting one thing and then really do like a quick switcheroo because you're going to get that. It reminded me of, um, might have been like a TikTok, I don't know, but where the <laughs> parents were tricking a child into eating vegetables by, um, you know, using like ready whip. So doing the sound of the ready whip, like sound and then stuffing like some broccoli or something in their mouth. And you're like, oh, that child's going to have trust issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the, 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 the nomer of like picking up the cookie, thinking it's chocolate chip and it ends up being raisins. It's yeah. like the worst feeling ever. And it makes you question putting your hand in that cookie jar in the first place. Right. So absolutely. It's not good. It's, it's, it's bad, bad. And it can end with like a lot of frustration for your dog too. And that can also kind of break the trust and bond that you're working on building throughout training and behavior modification and stuff like that. So always making sure that, you know, if you are ever putting your dog on a restricted diet for whatever reason, have your head on your shoulders when you do it and make sure that you ask those questions upfront so that you can kind of a, hopefully avoid those issues before they even become an issue and already have ways to go about finding more appropriate treats for them or, you know, foods that are a little bit more motivating, or even if you're just having trouble feeding them their regular meal, because that's just not high enough value for them, or they really just don't like it because it doesn't have the things that dogs innately need or want to eat. So making sure that you kind of have ways to change that up before it even becomes a problem can also be helpful. But sometimes you're going to be listening to this podcast and you're already there and you're going, well, Cassie, that's not an option at this point. <laughs> 
And I think as well, looking for different ways to deliver food, like some of the, the kind of tips that I give is, okay, so maybe we have a, a restrictive diet and we're on a specific, maybe, you know, veterinary recommended food, but if that's kibble, you know, that comes in a wet you could water that down. You could maybe ask your vet, hey, could I add like fat into that? So could I add something to make that just a little bit tastier so that my dog will be more inclined to have it? So, you know, it's not necessarily be all end all if you're on a, a very restrictive diet, just communicate, you know, with your vet or with your nutritionist, you know, what can I do around this? What are the things that are okay that I can utilize so that my dog wants to take their food? And the other thing that I, when you mentioned about, you know, having the, the certain types of diets and seeing your vet and stuff is I feel like a lot of people kind of self-diagnose, like we went through that kind of grain-free, you know, oh, my dog can't have grains. And a lot of times, you know, I will say to clients, has this been something that you have investigated with a vet? or you're just doing a trial and error because you think that's, you know, it's the chicken. And a lot of times they come back and say, well, we think it's the chicken or we think it's, you know, whatever. So really getting to the root cause and seeing a vet or a nutritionist or somebody and finding out what is it? Because there's, when it comes to allergies and intolerance, there's so many things. It might not be the thing that you think it is. And then you're limiting your dog for no reason. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. And that does, that really does happen so often, especially in dogs that have, you know, things like allergic skin disease or things like that. People will often say like, oh, my dog's constantly itching. My dog's constantly red. My dog's allergic to this, this, this. And then when we actually see it from the perspective of like that animal being at a clinic or whatever the case may be, we're like, well, you know what? It's not really allergic to any of those things. So we've made a mistake somewhere. And oftentimes that does come from, people self-diagnosing because it, it, it can be a very expensive process, right? Like we know it, it can be difficult. It can be an expensive process to find out what exactly it is that's creating issues for your dog. And often like there are veterinarians that specialize in certain different things, right? So you have uh, dermatological veterinarians that specialize specifically in derm issues and skin issues and things like that. And 99.9% of the time, they're going to tell you that a like scratch test isn't going to be overly helpful or a blood test isn't necessarily going to be overly helpful, that there are a lot of other different ways um, and, you know, bacteria they want to test and things they want to do. So just an elimination diet isn't going to do it on its own. So when we have um, those clients that kind of do that self-diagnosing or trying to get to the root cause of it with Dr. Google, it can kind of make it a little more difficult or even, you know, checking things out on TikTok because other people have had that same issue or this specific breed has those issues often. And then we find those people that go um, straight, they, they skip a couple steps and they go straight to like, I'm going to raw feed, but then we see, you know, raw feeding's great. I love raw feeding. My dog was on raw for the first eight, seven years of his life, something along those. So like there are ways to do it and there are ways that can be extremely helpful, but there's also a lot of misinformation out there. So really making sure that you're vetting your sources when you are doing those things is going to help to eliminate a lot of the mistakes that can be made um, and, you know, avoid situations where you are assuming one thing when it is completely another, or, you know, you've had that friend at the dog park tell you, oh, well, my dog had the same issue and I did this and it fixed it. Um, you know, the snake oil solutions as it were right 
Yeah. And I mean, that is something that I wish more people would take heed to is because, you know, especially in dog groups, dog fancy groups, or, you know, dog groups in general, there so readily is advice given and social media on, on a whole, you know, that's the kind of MO is, you know, this worked for my dog. So, you know, it could work for your dog. Yeah, it could work for your dog, but much like training, you know, do you want to keep trying different things and seeing what works or do you want the right information as soon as possible so that your dog can have, be feeling good about the food that they're getting. Again, you can keep in, you know, increasing the motivation, but also, you know, just general well-being. They deserve that kind of diagnosis or at least investigating it. Because as we know, all dogs are individuals and what works for one may not work for the other. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And often just in general, I will find, and like, this is not to, you know, hurt any, you know, testing or doing those things. We always have the right motivation in our heart when we're doing something for our dog that I believe to be 100% true. But when you're in such an unregulated industry in terms of, you know, training and behavior and those types of things. And the fact that even though, you know, veterinarians are very much regulated, you still have, you know, that friend at the dog park or on the dog group that has answers that, you know, their veterinarian didn't give them, they found them on their own or whatever the case may be. And a lot of misinformation can get out there. And oftentimes, or sometimes at the very least, attempting to follow that without chatting with your veterinarian about it first, or your nutritionist or your trainer or behavior consultant, um, we can get information that might do harm without that ever being our intention, right? Where we try to remove something from our dog that is actually a super integral part of their overall health and well-being, part of their diet, that if we remove it and we remove it for too long a period, we can cause those problems or make the issues that we're trying to resolve worse. And then it kind of becomes this vicious cycle of thinking it's one thing when we don't really know and those types of things. So really, really, really just stressing that, you know, there are people out there who are going to take a systematic approach to how to do this and how to find what is correct for your dog and how to make sure that you are not stuck essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And I think along the same lines is, you know, making sure that your dog is healthy overall. So, you know, having a good line of communication with your vet, having your dog regularly checked, you know, even something as simple as dental concern. So like a cracked tooth, or maybe there's a little bit of inflammation or something's going on with the, the mouth in general, you may find that your dog may not like a crunchy treat, or, you know, they may stop chewing on the things that they used to chew on, or they snub their nose at their favorite, you know, food motivator. So making sure that your dog nose to tail is, is feeling good and able to enjoy the food that they're getting, because sometimes those are things I think that really go amiss. And we look at, well, my dog isn't taking food anymore. He must not like this food when there really could be something going on that we're just missing because we're not necessarily looking or we're not aware that that could be an issue. Yes. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Any sudden onset of problems or sudden onset of loss of what we would consider motivation towards food or things like that. It's always, always, always important to check with your veterinarian to make sure, like you said, nose to tail, your dog is healthy and there's nothing potentially exacerbating those issues or that lack of motivation or that dislike or diswant. Diswant is definitely not a word. But, <laughs> um, 
I really do think as well, um, restricted diets and things aside that diving into the core of like what the situation you're using this food is, how often we're using the food, um, like what other motivators are currently at play for your dog and their overall mental well-being in those moments. Like, like you always say, Renee, mental health matters for our dogs too. And if we're not putting that on the same level as their physical well-being, um, we can often have difficulty there. And it, it is going to be someone like a trainer or behavior consultant or your veterinarian that are going to be able to help to put you in the right direction to categorically and systematically figure out what motivations are at play and how we can change those things and how we can make things more rewarding for our dogs and more enjoyable for you as well. Because if you're working through things with your dog and having a difficult time because you feel they're not motivated by food, like take a step back, go back to what you were working on previously, try to find a different um, motivator for your dog. All dogs are going to be motivated by primary and reinforcers. It's just by how much and in what situations. And if there is a problem and we are actually seeing no motivation for a specific thing that there's reason for it and we need to try to find that reason not just assume that our dog isn't motivated by something right does that kind of make sense I feel oh, like yeah. that went in a big circle <laughs> <laughs> to me it makes perfect sense um but I think you're right you know it's the I like to say like the approximation to the thing so you know if you're out there and like we talked about you know those kind of scenarios of maybe my dog really wants to get to squirrels. Well, if you're walking in a park where, you know, squirrels are a plenty and you're trying to distract your dog and get their attention away from the squirrel, but there's squirrels all over, you have no control of that environment. And to then offer your dog, even the highest reinforcer, it's not going to happen, you know? So like taking that step back and looking, wow, when I offer him food in this situation, he doesn't take it possibly that's because that environment is way too stimulating. You know, the um, chance of getting a squirrel or getting close to the squirrel is so much greater than if you did take that step back and say, why don't I just try hanging out maybe across the street from where there are squirrels? I'm more likely to get my dog's attention in that environment. And then my food can really be powerful. And I think that's, you know, sometimes what people miss or, you know, we go walking in that environment where there are squirrels all the time. And my dog loves looking at the squirrels and he loves paying attention to the squirrels. And, you know, I can't use food in that situation. You know, if that's something you're doing on a regular basis, your dog's getting really good at stalking squirrels. <laughs> and then your food, it definitely loses the value because you keep offering it and your dog keeps snubbing it. So, you know, looking at the situation and where you're using food, that's a, that's a key thing when we're talking about food as a motivator, because there will always be a higher motivator in those situations and food just will not work. Oh, absolutely. And I think that comes down to it too. You'll often hear a lot of trainers and behavior consultants talking about value of reinforcers. Um, and then not only just the value of the reinforcer, but the frequency of reinforcement. So your reinforcement um, plan, your reinforcement history, like all of those fun things. So if you're consistently offering the highest value reward to your dog in the living room for doing something that comes very easily to them and they understand in that environment and in that context, 
but they're getting the highest value thing or what they find the highest value. And then you try to use that high value thing in a more difficult situation, it no longer holds that high value. So values change regularly throughout everything. So I kind of like to think of it like, um, you know, a little kid going to the doctor, the dentist for the first time, Um, that lollipop that they get at the beginning isn't necessarily going to be as high value in a, you know, doctor's office if they get that lollipop already on their way to the doctor or whatever the case may be. Right. So it kind of changes a lot when you really look at the thick of things and like where we're using reinforcers, when and how we're using reinforcers, where reinforcers come from is also a really big one and the value of them in appropriate context. Cause I feel like that's the biggest thing is a lot of the time we, as humans, we take things very out of context for our dogs. Cause we expect old school ways of thinking um, where, you know, obedience is all and that type of thing. And I'm, I have made it a personal mission to really change that for a lot of people or try to. So making sure that when we are considering what is food motivation, how food motivated is my dog? There are a lot of other questions to ask. It's not just, you know, well, my dog takes these hot dogs at home all the time. Why won't she take them in a group class with other dogs? Well, there's your answer right there. It's a group class with other dogs. Maybe she finds other dogs far more reinforcing in this context. So the hot dog is not going to be the same thing, right? Yeah, that's, that's such a valid point. And, you know, and I think it's also sometimes our pressure as well, you know, in that class situation where like, she does this at home, you know, like take the hot dog. (laughs) You're like, it's all right. Like she doesn't have to perform. If it works at home, you know, great. Then, you know, go outside the house and see how she does with it there. But yeah, I think even that, you know, we're, we want the food to work so desperately because, you know, we understand the value of the food and that's, you know, the, (laughs) one of the sticking points for positive reinforcement is like, everyone thinks like, it's just about the food when we know it's not just about the food. There's so many other reinforcers for dogs. You know, the, the, the rewards are a plenty, but food tends to be the easiest one. And I think the one that people tend to stick to when they think of positive reinforcement. And it's like, it's okay. If she doesn't take the food, you know, we got some more tricks up our sleeve, but let's look at the context and, and reevaluate. And I know for me, when I used to teach puppy classes, If the dog didn't want to take the food, I had things on hand that I could offer for novel types of food. And that way, you know, okay, yes, she's not taking the hot dogs. She's probably had about, you know, I don't know, 15 bites of hot dogs already. Why don't we try something a little different and see if we can kind of capture her attention with this new thing and the amount of dogs. I mean, people would come over after class and be like, um, what were those treats you gave me? (laughs) And I'm like, it's not even about the treat. It's just about the fact that it's, it's new and it smells good. And, you know, the dog is like, yeah, I I would, I want that now. So definitely switching, (laughs) switching them up and trying different things with your dog. Yes, absolutely. And even from the flip side too, and I'm sure you experienced this with working in group classes, sometimes who the food is coming from is also a big game changer. Cause I will have clients where your dog's entire history with me is I'm the treat lady. I have never put your dog in a situation of conflict. I have never caused your dog fear. I have never, so their history with me is a very large understanding that I bring rewards. I mean, good things are going to happen. So even though your dog won't take that liver treat or that hot dog from you in this situation, they might take it from me. And that also changes things too. So 
there's so many important aspects that go into what we call food motivation. And I think they're really important to explore. So if you've ever been that person that said, no, my dog's just not that food motivated, take another look, take a second guess. Always, always, always question things. That's my biggest thing is I would rather be a skeptic in every situation than a full-on believer or a full-on non-believer. If I sit somewhere in the middle and I'm always questioning, I know I'm always going to learn new things. Um, and sometimes I learn those things from clients. Sometimes I learn like different ways to do things just because I, I haven't seen somebody feed a treat like that before. That's kind of cool. Let's do that. Maybe that in and of itself makes that reward more motivating. Like um, some of the predation substitution training that people are doing to teach their dogs not to chase those squirrels and things like that. If we haven't considered feeding the way you're feeding in those situations, that that can also change the value of your reward and reinforcement enforcers too. So there's so, so, so many important things that sometimes I feel like we're just not going to get it in a 30 minute segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Part 17 on food motivation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think, you know what, we've given people hopefully a lot to chew on <laughs> um, <laughs> when it comes to food Unintended. <laughs> That's it. That's all this podcast is boiled down now. <laughs> really, really poor puns. Um, but no, I think, you know what, we've given a lot of good information in here. And I hope that it really helps people to think, you know, more about what food they're feeding, how they're feeding it, um, and the context that they're feeding it. And, you know, all the kind of things that go around with food motivation. If you are struggling with your dog, and you found this podcast to be really reinforcing for you, um, definitely leave us a review and tell us what you think about the podcast in general, but also this episode. So we will both see you next time on the Dog Logical Podcast. Are you looking for your next dog professional, but you're not sure that you have a trainer in your area that you can trust? Or maybe you're not sure where training can fit into your schedule. With my virtual dog training services, you don't need to worry about either of those issues. Virtual dog training is easy, convenient, and best of all, highly effective. You get to train your own dog, and you get the information, the guidance, and the support that you need in order to do so. So if you've been looking for your next dog professional, I would love to work with you. To find what services I offer, go to rplusdogs.com.